We're in this series of messages entitled Mastering the Art of... Oh, nope. Oh, I, I saw the screen up there and got all excited. Uh, Mastering the Art of the Unordinary. And, and our text for this series of sermons is Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul tells us that as followers of Jesus, we can't allow ourselves to just be fitted into the world's mold anymore. We have to break out of that mold. Where Paul says that we should not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but instead we should allow God's Word to renew our minds and we should allow God's Spirit to transform our lives so that we look more like Jesus and less like the world, so that we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit instead of indulging the temptations of our sinful nature. So it's not just enough to break out of the world's ordinary brand of of self-centered consumerism and self-reliant determinism, to to break free of the world's shallow version of politically correct love and tolerance, we have to do more than just break out of that mold. We also have to master the art of living unordinary lives in our worship, in our praying, in our thinking, in our living. We must master the art of the unordinary. And last week we discussed how our world desperately needs people who have mastered the art of serving not self-serving out of some sense of duty or obligation, not serving in order to earn God's favor. And the world is filled with enough people who try to do good but have hidden agendas, who have self-serving angles they're working, or who serve out of a works-based religion. As Christians, that's not why we serve. We serve because we are freed by Christ from those kind of selfish motives. We serve out of gratitude. And out of love for God, for each other, and for the world. But today I want us to focus on another art. Mastering the art of giving. Now really giving, you know, if we're thinking in terms of art, giving you might say is like a genre of serving. Giving is one very powerful way that we can serve other people. That we can love and bear witness to Christ. Serve, uh, giving is also a form of worship. We worship when we give. Giving is a way we can put hands and feet to our praying. Giving is a reflection of a biblical worldview. So here in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul describes the art of generous, heartfelt giving. I want us to look at a few verses here, and then we're going to go back and and look at at this a little bit more in its entirety. Look with me at, at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. Paul says, but just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. In other words, Paul is saying, master the art of giving. Just as you've mastered these other areas, master the art of giving. Now look at chapter 9, verse 8. Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then look at verses 14 and 15. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for the reading of Your Word. We thank You for this time to be together. We thank You, Father, that... You have given us so much grace. You have abounded Your grace to us that we might abound in every good work. We pray, God, that Your Spirit would abundantly speak and move through the preaching of Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So one of the focuses of Paul's third missionary journey, this is all about Paul's third trip around on his missionary experience, and he's collecting an offering to take back to the church in Jerusalem. The believers in Jerusalem are suffering severe trials and persecution. They're extremely impoverished. Uh, They're starving to death. And so Paul is going to these churches collecting an offering to take to them. And the Corinthian church, well, let's just say that was one of Paul's special churches. Uh, We'll put it that way. And in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul encourages this church to quit stalling and to fulfill their promise to give. One of the problems this church faced, like a lot of churches that are in decline, a lot of churches in need of revitalization, The Corinthian church had an inward focus. They were so focused on themselves. And this inward focus led to petty arguments and divisions over things that really didn't matter, like the color of the carpet or, you know, where they're going to take up the offering in the middle of the service or the end of the service. You know, things, really important, critical things like that. They would argue and fuss over these things. And they also had a very shallow spirituality that just took the grace of God for granted. In short, the Corinthian church was too conforming to this world's patterns. They were fitting into the mold of the world around them. They were failing to master the arts of serving and giving. And so through Paul's admonishment for the Corinthian church to fulfill their vow and give, we today can discover six essential ways that we can master the art of giving. And the first one of these, the first blank in your notes there, is give no matter the circumstances. That's the first step. The mastering the art of giving is give no matter the circumstances. And if you can't spell circumstances, I can't help you this morning. I'm sorry. It would, it would be up there on the screen. Circumstances. In, verse eight, in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up enrich generosity. Now, this is a fascinating passage of Scripture. The Macedonian church is a church that was suffering under severe trial, likely persecution for their faith. They were a church being persecuted, being driven underground. And this persecution has led them to extreme poverty. Now, if anyone had an excuse not to serve, not to give, but to kind of hunker down and focus inward on their own survival, it would be the church in Macedonia. If any church had an excuse to be inwardly focused, it would be them. But that's not what they did, was it? Instead, they took this mess that they were in, and they allowed the grace of God to transform their mess into something beautiful. They refused to use their economic circumstances as an excuse. Now, let's be honest. We can always find an excuse not to give, can't we? We can always find some reason why we don't have the time to serve. No one has ever said, I have enough time. I've got all the time in the world. No one's ever said, I have enough money. I don't need any more money now, God. I'm done. If you've you've been able to say that, let me know after the service, please. None of us do. We always want more money. We always have more stuff we want to buy. Our hearts always desire more than our wallets can afford. That's part of our human nature. And Satan is always ready to give us some reason to be tight-fisted with our hard-earned dollars. But these Macedonian Christians chose to be generous with what little they had. 
giving their aid to brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, people that they might not ever meet. And they exceeded Paul's wildest expectations. See, the Macedonians had not forgotten the grace of God. And I wonder sometimes as Americans, you know, we have so much, have we forgotten the grace of God? Have we forgotten just how desperately we really need God's grace in our lives? Have we forgotten that we have access to eternal riches in Christ Jesus? See, the Macedonian church took Jesus at His word when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so like a painter might take yellow and blue paint and mix together to get green, these Macedonian Christians took their extreme poverty and they took the grace of God and they mixed it together and they came out with a beautiful expression, overflowing with joy and rich generosity. We need to learn from these struggling first century Christians that no matter our circumstance, God's grace can always enable us to give. Amen? Number two, we need to give enthusiastically. It's another big word. Enthusiastically. All right, look at uh, verses 3 and 4 in chapter 8. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And then in chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, the Macedonian church, they didn't need any arm twisting. They were more than willing to give toward this offering. In fact, they begged for the privilege to give. Now, I've never known anybody to beg for the offering plate to come by. But they begged for this opportunity to give. These Christians gave voluntarily and eagerly because they had experienced the grace of God. Now, grace not only frees us from sin, but really grace frees us from ourselves. Now, last week we talked about how we need to serve because we are free in Christ. Christ sets us free. That's who we are. And so we serve from love instead of from guilt. We serve from a relationship with God, not in order to earn a reward from God. Giving's not that different from serving. In fact, you can think about it this way, and these are some blanks in your notes. We can think of serving as sharing our time and our talents. When you serve, you're giving from your time, you're giving from your talents, your energy. When we serve, we're sharing our time and talents. But when we give, we're sharing our tithe and our treasures. They're really not that different. That's why I said giving is like a genre of serving, if you're thinking about that in artistic terms. And just as we serve enthusiastically out of freedom and love, we should give cheerfully to God and others as well. We give enthusiastically. Number three, we give ourselves. Give ourselves. Look with me at verses 5 through 7 in chapter 8. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So Paul's, remember, he's talking to the Corinthian Christians. He's been talking about the Macedonian church. 
So in, in verse 5, he's talking, he's still talking about the Macedonian church. They did not give as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us with keeping with God's will. But now he's talking to the Corinthians about themselves. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. You see, what Paul's saying is if we give ourselves to God first, then we're not going to have any problem giving our resources and our time to God because we've already given Him ourselves. We've already surrendered our heart and our mind and our lives to Him. And if we give ourselves first to God, we're going to want to give ourselves to His church and to His kingdom and to His mission around the world. In fact, the Bible teaches us that it's impossible to love God and ignore the needs around us. If you love the God you cannot see, you have to be able to love the brother and sister you can see. So giving our tithes and our offerings, giving our time and our talents, is a spiritual matter. We were created in God's image, and God is a giving God. And He expects us to be giving people. Giving is as essential to our souls as is prayer and worship. These Corinthian Christians... They were were excelling in many things. We might look, if this church was here in in, in the United States today, it might be a mega church. We might think, man, this church has got it together. They were excelling in their faith, in their teaching of Scripture, and having biblical knowledge, in serving Paul and his team with enthusiasm and love. They had mastered so many things. They just hadn't mastered the arts of serving and giving. First Baptist Church is also excelling in many ways. We've been blessed beyond measure in so many ways. And I'm proud of how well our church gives from the overflow of God's abundant grace to us. And I honestly believe we as a church are doing better today at mastering the art of giving than we've done maybe in a long time. Let me just share with you some examples. Through the monthly ministry collection in our atrium, that's the blue box in the atrium, You'll notice that box in the top left of your order of worship every Sunday. It tells you what the monthly ministry donation is. Through that and through our Go and Tell Fund, we've been able to do some amazing things this year. We sent 72 backpacks stuffed with clothes and blankets and toys and supplies and food. We sent 72 backpacks to Appalachia. Had hygiene items, all sorts of things in them. These are going to be given to boys and girls this Christmas through local churches in Appalachia. They call them Happy Birthday Jesus Parties. And our backpacks, our 72, which I think may be the most we've ever done, Kathy, is that right? It's the most we've ever done. Those are going to join with 32,000 other backpacks from other Georgia Baptist churches. Last year, through these Happy Birthday Jesus parties, there were over 2,000 professions of faith. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, let's, let's give God a hand for that. Amen. We can't clap for that. We've got deeper problems. We've provided hundreds of welcome baskets to women who are escaping abusive situations through safe homes in Augusta. And every one of those baskets lets those women know that they are precious in the eyes of God. And there's a New Testament and a gospel presentation for those women. This year, I'm proud to say, and let me get my piece of paper Kathy gave me so I can give you that exact number. This year, our church, remember our goal for Operation Christmas Child was 500. I don't think we've ever given more than that before. 500 was our goal. 
Right now we stand at 525 shoeboxes from our church. Amen. And that's going to be paired with about uh, 1,262 others plus another 168 that came in from, from the local community. And we know there's another church that's sending a, a, a lot more. So Pam said that we're going to be over 2,000 in our collection center from our community. Let's give God thanks for that as well. That's the most that Pam said we've ever had come through our building. Bicycle ministry. We have a bicycle ministry. And I was asking James about this. He said that, that as far as he knows, and it's kind of, they've kind of lost track of some of the count because they've given away so many bikes. And each of those bikes has a Jesus Loves Me sticker that goes on those bicycles. So they know why those bikes have been given. It's because Jesus loves them. We've given over 2,000 bicycles away through our bicycle ministry. And right now, that's right, amen. And right now, we are, we are preparing to take a load of bicycles this week to the children's home in Baxley, Georgia. We're going to give them bicycles for Christmas. And we have been put in touch with a church in Florida that, that had a bicycle ministry, and they lost all their bicycles to Hurricane Michael. And we're going to send bicycles down there to them so they can distribute it to people in need in their community. And if you want, you can still go purchase, go to Walmart, buy a brand new bicycle and give it to James. They usually take used ones, but they don't have time to get those prepared and ready to ship with this order. So if you want them to go to Baxley or you want them to go to uh, South uh, Georgia and Florida, then you need to go, go to Walmart, buy a bicycle, get it, get it to James, bring it by the church. We'll get it to them and they'll take it with them. Um, we took a truckload full of supplies down to South Georgia and, and have donated to Disaster Relief to really help those who are suffering from Michael. These are just ways that we've given through Go and Tell, through our, through our box in the atrium. And I'll talk about the Go and Tell fund. As of last Sunday, you have given $37,997 to our Go and Tell fund, which puts us above our goal for this point in the year. Our goal for the whole year is $39,000. We're almost, you know, with still several weeks to go, we're almost to that goal or you know, over that goal for the year. And that has helped us to make an eternal difference in people's lives through manna, through Smoky Mountain Resort Ministries, through the Georgia Baptist Children's Homes, to provide clean water to villages in Honduras, to help with disaster relief and wonderfully stitched, and so many more ministry opportunities. And I'm also proud to say that we have met and exceeded our Annie Armstrong Easter offering goal for this year and our Mission Georgia goal for this year. And those offerings help us to reach people in North America and right here in our own state. And here soon you're going to be hearing more about our Lottie Moon Christmas offering to reach people around the world. And I know we're going to exceed that goal as well. We're a generous church. And I don't say that in a prideful way. I say that in a thankful way. I say that as a pastor who is very thankful, a pastor who knows what a lot of other churches are struggling through. And I am so grateful that our church is a church that is mastering the art of giving. But I want to ask you about you individually and your family. How are you doing at mastering the art of giving? Consider how much you give of yourselves in your time and talents, in your resources and energy, in your wisdom and life experience, sharing with other people, mentoring other people, and, and, and comforting others who are going through times that you've been through yourself, how much are you giving of yourself? Consider all the ways that God has blessed you materially. How can you use the abundant resources God has given you to maybe open up your home to be more hospitable to friends and neighbors? 
Maybe to, to give somebody a ride to church or to the doctor's office. Maybe you've got some piece of equipment or tool in your garage that you're not using that you can just let people know, hey, if you need this, don't go buy it. I've got one. You can borrow it. Imagine how much money we could save and, and give to the kingdom if we all were out there buying tillers to put in our garages, right? If we could start to share some of these things with each other. Maybe to empty your, your pantry or, or your closet for manna. Or ensure that your estate can have lasting kingdom impact by designating a portion of it to the church's trust fund. There are so many ways that we can master the art of giving. Let's be creative. Let's try to outdo one another in how we give to God and His kingdom. Could you imagine someone saying, I know all there is about the Bible, I don't need to read it anymore. Could you imagine someone saying, I have grown so much in my faith, I now have perfect faith. No, of course. Yet how many of us are content with where we are in our giving? And we think, I'm giving all I need to give. I don't need to give anymore. I don't need to grow in the grace of giving. But we need to do that. We can't excel in giving if we're withholding ourselves from God's rule and reign in our hearts as Lord. We need to surrender ourselves first to God. And then we'll find that giving to Him and others comes more freely and eagerly. Number four, to master the art of giving, we need to give like Jesus. Give like Jesus. Look with me in chapter 8, verse 8. Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. And then let's drop down to the end of chapter 9, verse 12, where he says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Paul is saying that our motivation for giving should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Love. Love is why we give. Paul wasn't ordering them to give. He said, I'm not going to command you. But he, he was encouraging them by contrasting their attitude with that of the Macedonian Christians, but more importantly, with that of Jesus Himself. And like Jesus, the Macedonians were poor. Yet they gave sacrificially, exceeding all expectations. I mean, the Corinthians said they, they loved Paul, and they loved God, and they loved other believers, but Paul challenged them to prove that love through their actions. And when we give like Jesus, that's what we're doing. We are demonstrating our love for Him and our love for other people. Because Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not hold on to His divine privilege. He didn't consider that something to grasp with a tight fist. Rather, He left His kingly throne to become a servant and to take upon Himself a limited human body. He left the glory of heaven to come to a world where He wouldn't even have a place to lay His head. And in the ultimate act of sacrificial giving and the ultimate expression of poverty. The one who knew no sin became sin for our sakes when He died upon the cross. And we, 
who are spiritually bankrupt through Jesus Christ, through His poverty for our sakes, can now share in His eternal riches. We are now heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And now, having experienced this grace, how can we refuse to give to God and others in His name? God proved His love to us through giving His only begotten Son. Truly an indescribable gift. And we can express that gratitude and that genuineness of love by giving like Jesus. And giving like Jesus, and that number five, we give willingly. We give willingly. In verses 10 through 12, Paul says, Here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. In chapter 9, verse 5, Paul expounds and says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. See, the Christians in Corinth had initially been eager to be part of this offering, but they hadn't followed through on their commitment. They made a pledge, but they weren't giving. Now, there's a difference, isn't there, between a willingness to do something and actually doing something, right? I mean, you know, kids, you know, might tell mom and dad, yeah, I'll go clean my room. Is that good enough, mom and dad? No, they need to clean their room. It's not just enough to say you're going to do something. You've got to do it. But if our giving is motivated by grace, then it will be done willingly. Not because we're forced to do it, not because we're commanded to do it, not because we're guilted into doing it, because we want to do it. Now, in our Old Testament reading, in Malachi chapter 3, we heard about bringing the whole tithe into God's storehouse. People get so confused about this idea of the tithe. The tithe means a tenth. That's what the Hebrew word means, a tenth. In the Old Testament, God commanded His people to return 10% of their increase to the temple storehouse. And this was used to minister to the, the widows and the orphans and the foreigners in their land. And it was also used to support the priests and the worship of God in the temple. And God was serious about His people tithing. Because it was a recognition. It reminded them that everything they had came from God. He was the giver of every good gift, especially the gift of the land upon which they lived. They were only managers of God's assets. They weren't the owners. And so bringing God the tithe was a debt they owed. And to not pay it was to rob God. That's why Malachi says to bring God's tithe to the storehouse. It doesn't say give it. He says, bring it. We don't give God our tithe because it's His already. We owe it to Him. We're to bring it to Him, to the storehouse, who for us as followers of Jesus is the local church. But, hear me out, the tithe isn't the standard anymore. We're not under the law. We're under grace. The tithe is not the standard. Jesus is the standard And Jesus gave His all to pay for our all. Therefore, as the song says, all to Him we owe. Amen? God 
expects us to not only give to bring that 10% to Him, but He expects us to give from the 90% that He gives to us. He expects us to give lovingly, willingly, enthusiastically like Jesus gave for the benefit of others and for the glory of God and the expansion of His kingdom. Now I want you to notice in this text that God doesn't expect us to give beyond what He's already given to us. So in other words, whether you stop at the tithe or you give above and beyond that, what matters is that you give in proportion with what God has given you. We're not to compare ourselves to what other people give. It's all about what God has given us. Think about the tithe like training wheels on a bicycle. The training wheels can kind of be a little constraining at first, but grace moves us to a place where the training wheels can come off. And we can truly feel generous in our heart. If we're to truly master the art of giving, we can't be limited to the tithe. We can't just try to get by with paying the minimum. Artful giving always tries to figure out how it can give more than it knows it really can. And so, it's a lifestyle of giving by faith. And that's number six. We give by faith. In verse 13, Paul continues... Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you were hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. And then in chapter 9, verses 8 through 11, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way. So you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul, in chapter 8, uses the story of, of the manna in the wilderness. Remember children of Israel, they're wandering in the wilderness, they don't have any food to eat, and God graces them with this manna, this mysterious bread stuff that comes from heaven every night. They wake up in the morning, they gather it in, and they eat it. And, and, and God tells Moses to tell the people, don't gather in more than you need for the day. And if you try to gather in a whole bunch and jar it up and store it away in your closet or like bubbles in your, in your garbage bag there, Kelly, if you try to do that, it spoils. It won't keep till the next day. But if you go out and you gather, whatever you gather will be just what you needed that day. It was one of the miracles of the manna. No matter how much the Jews gathered each day, they always had what they needed. No more and no less. The lesson is simple. Gather what you need, share what you can, and don't try to hoard God's blessings. Trust that God will give you each day your daily bread. See, artful giving is a matter of faith, of trusting in God's goodness and provision that He will supply your need. Now, just as we are saved by grace through faith, we need to give by grace through faith. And when we do, we will experience this amazing freedom from the consumerism and the materialism and the worry over money that consumes the world around us. We'll begin to develop new values and new priorities and truly break the mold. When we master the art of giving, we'll be blessed just as we bless others. 
And Kelly, Jesus told another parable about a wealthy man who, who had uh, some, some, some estate and, and, and a lot of money, and he was going away out of country on a trip. So he took three of his managers, and he put them each in charge of a certain amount of money. And when he came back, they had to give an account for what they had done with it. And two of them invested it and grew his money, and one of them just kind of hid it in the sand and buried it and didn't do anything with it. Well, he rebukes that guy for, for not investing the money, but the, to the two that invested it, he said this, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. From this verse, I want to share with you real quick, and we're going to conclude, three rewards that we will enjoy when we master the art of giving. The first is an affirmation. An affirmation when God says, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. You've made me happy. We'll we'll receive an affirmation from God. Is there any better affirmation to get than from God? The second thing we'll get is a promotion. A promotion. You've been in charge of a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. If we're faithful with the little, God will give us more. He'll give us a promotion. And number three, a celebration. We will share in Jesus' joy. What a celebration that will be. Are you mastering the art of giving? Are you willing to grow at it and grow in excellence in the grace of giving? You know, last week I challenged you to try to serve two hours every week, whether that's in the church or in the community. Try to find two hours every week to serve, to give your time and talents to others. And this week I challenge you to grow in the grace and master the art of giving. Now, Jesus is the master artist when it comes to giving, isn't it? So we can never outgive God. Because Jesus literally gave His all for us. He became poor so that we might become rich in the grace of God. He came and died that we might live. He came to be broken that we could be made whole. This morning, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? He wants to make an exchange with you. He wants you to come this morning and give Him your poverty that He might give you His riches. He wants you to come this morning and give Him your sin that He might give you His righteousness. He wants you to come this morning and move from death to life. Would you come today and put your faith and trust in Jesus? Maybe this morning God is calling on you and your family to come and you're not with this church, that you know this is the place where God would have you to serve and to give and to grow and to master these beautiful arts together with God's people here. You come this morning and you're not with our church. Maybe God is calling you into full-time Christian service. Maybe God is calling you to serve and give in some way you've never thought about before, but you know that you need to surrender, not just your wallet, not just your calendar, but you know you need to surrender your heart and new and afresh to God today. You come and respond as His Spirit leads. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we love You. We thank You for Your good gifts to us, Your rich generosity. Jesus, thank You truly for paying it all. None of us have to pay anything for our salvation. You've paid it all. But to You, we owe our lives and our love. We owe our all. Would You move and speak through, through Your Word, touch people's hearts today. May they respond as you lead. In Jesus' name.